After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. It's mind rolling time with hello with, with there he is David Silver and myself. And there he is Raghu Marcus. Thank the you. The one and only. Thank you for the introduction. Well, first off, we have to tell everybody, say to everybody, thank you so much for our crowdfunding success with Indiegogo. Although we came up uh, a couple of grand short of our objective, uh, turned out that a uh, couple of people wrote in and said, you know, because Indiegogo sends out a, an email to everybody saying what happened. And so a couple of people not only made up the difference, but made it way up. So uh, we actually exceeded our goal. And uh, we really... Uh, we really appreciate this. Can you imagine how many people, 300 to 400 people, whatever it was, uh, getting behind and really uh, wanting to see us take this thing out further and expand it? And boy, wait till you see this uh, um, app that we're creating for the smartphone. We had a meeting the other day about that, and that is well on its way. We should see it this fall. Uh, and David and I are working on the Life and Balance uh, audiobook and courses, and uh, that's going to be a, a thrill to share with everybody. So uh, we're just super happy, Dave. It yeah, was that's uh, great. Yeah, it's great. So it's real altruism too, because you know, even though there's a few perks in giving money to this, uh, most people didn't are not really interested in that. They just really are, you know, selflessly or, or you know, want to make this. Uh, an even better thing, and um, not just for themselves, for no. for people to have access to this uh, th these incredible teachers. And by the way, something I'm glad I'm remembering because we just introduced a new podcast, uh, I believe yesterday, with Joseph Goldstein. Those of you who do not know who Joseph is, he is part of the triumvirate of Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield, who brought insight meditation to the to this country. And he's a uh, just a phenomenal teacher in that he can explicate uh, the uh, Buddhist canon uh, in a way that is so practical and so down to earth. And in this particular episode, he talks about emptiness, which is a very, very difficult uh, esoteric. It's not really the right word, esoteric. It's not esoteric. It's inimical to becoming free is to understand uh, the implications of, of what emptiness really is. And, but he gets it down to what it is in, in daily life, empty of self, empty of 
of uh, relationship with the phenomenon and chasing and reacting and so on. So tremendous podcast, everybody. Please go to it. Joseph Goldstein's Insight Hour on MindPod Network. So I am, I am, Raghu, I'm just thrilled that I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic here. I just think Joseph is the, the finest teacher, along with his two colleagues at Insight. But, you know, I, the, we did a podcast with, uh, with Joseph Goldstein, and after it, I just, I'm, I'm not kidding. I felt clearer, better, uh, more balanced, uh, and not in a facile kind of way. I had read the book Mindfulness, a practical guide to awakening which is his book and mm. while we're at it i'd really like to recommend it i think we've recommended it before can't recommend it enough uh absolutely it's, a, it's an absolutely amazing book it's a long book it's an intense book it's based on one sutta of, of buddha but uh it, you can't imagine a more ameliorative book so i recommend it on amazon use our amazon portal the amazon portal is helping us enormously uh, we're getting more people who are using it on a regular basis, and it just helps us keep going. And so we grateful to all of you just for listening, but we're also grateful to those of you who who are full of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And when you when you buy that new Swiffer or you buy a, a Swiffer, pair, what's a Swiffer? It's the thing you dust things with. Swiffer, I've yeah. never heard of Swiffer. Swiffer is a major part of my life. Because there's a lot really? of dust in this apartment. And it's just a thing. You know, you have like a plastic handle and then there's this thing that's made of heaven knows what. If you can get then, a Swiffer on Amazon, I'll eat your hat. Is there a Swiffer on Amazon? Can you get a Swiffer on Amazon? Oh, I'm sure there Maybe is. it's called a whisk? No, that's not it. A whisk is for food. Okay, no, everybody, it's called, it's anybody out there, sure. <laughs> if you can find a Swiffer, uh, yes. send me one. They're really? great. They, it really works. It picks up the dust. You know, you don't have to sort of move it into a, it's not like a shovel thing where you move it into a, a, a trowel or something. It's, it's, it just picks it up magically. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like an ad for Swiffer. So just go to Amazon for Joseph Goldstein Mindfulness, a practical guide. And while you're there, while you're there, and we are switching, of course, from Indiegogo now that that's over. We're back to uh, hustling everybody about uh, uh, Amazon. But uh, while you're there with uh, Joseph's book, uh, Mindfulness, there's two other books, and they've been on the last couple of podcasts, uh, one on Ramdas podcast. Uh, that was uh, Danny Goldman's A Force for Good, which he wrote with His Holiness and really uh, fantastic uh, book. And, and we... And the other one is His Holiness's uh, translator, uh, chief translator, Tupten Jinpa. Uh, that was uh, a pod- our last podcast. And uh, Fearless Heart, around, and that's around compassion. That's also a fantastic book. Uh, and he's a fantastic person. Uh, so both of those are available on Amazon. Please uh, do go up and use our portal on MindPod Network or my- go right to MindRolling. And, uh, and uh, we all and share in this, by the way, everybody, we share amongst all of the podcasters and the individual podcasters. And you can and if you, you know, you like one over the other and you want to donate into theirs, then just go to their page and do so. And that uh, that's the way to do that. Uh, by the way, Dave, we can't forget. Um, and it's his holiness's birthday. It's this birthday week, kind of, because uh, his birthday is July 6th, and uh, this podcast is 
uh, coming out uh, at the end of that birthday week, and we we must wish His Holy Holiness uh, uh, long life uh, because He's the greatest human on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. At this point, public figure. I can't argue. There are 7.2 billion people, most of which I don't know, most of whom I don't know. But he's certainly one of the, the if not the greatest public figure and has done more good, in, in, in our opinion, for peace and bringing it together and, and creating a kind of uh, benign unity amongst men and women and animals and the planet itself. I have one more recommendation, which, as I was about to say, is from the sublime to the ridiculous, which is the special uh, edition deluxe of Sticky Fingers, which many people think is the best Rolling Stones album. Um, and what it is, funny, really, because it's three CDs. First one is the one we all bought back then, when those of us that were alive. Second one is alternate takes on those marvelous tracks, Brown Sugar and... Sister Morphine and Love in Vain and Marvelous Tracks. Alternative versions, which were interesting. Some with Eric Clapton, with great musicians. The third CD is a, a concert that um, the Stones did at Leeds University. And I saw them at university. Not that one, but another one. And the famous Who album, the Who Live at Leeds, is mm. the one everybody knows. But the Stones, I guess, got jealous and said, let's do our Leeds album. It's absolutely fantastic. Now, What year is that album, from, Dave? It's uh, 71, I think. Oh, wow. Um, but it could be earlier. I'm not really absolutely sure. But I think that the, the, album, the album came out, I think, in 69 or something like that. But the Leeds one is a slightly later. The funny thing is that when I first went to Amazon uh, to get it, I looked at it and I almost fell on the floor. It was $180. But that was the one with the CDs and two DVDs also. But absolutely out of the question. Who's going to spend $180? However, the MP3 version is $18. <laughs> No. You, <laughs> you don't get, you know, in other words, everybody can get that. And that's what I got. And the quality is amazing. And I really recommend it for those of you. I mean, we've been hearing about the Grateful Dead 24-7 for the last week. And, um, you know, bows to them, to the dead. But, uh, you know, the Stones are the tightest band in history. And if you want to hear them at their very best, actually, get that for 18 bucks. That's the end of the hustling. That's not hustling. I mean, I want to, after your description, I want to get that. I take okay? my direction from you. You said we, more oh, hustling. right, yeah. Um, I, I want to make a little offering, though, for His Holiness's birthday. Uh, it's something I found on YouTube, and it's a chant. I think you're going to enjoy I didn't even mention this to you prior to getting on. Uh, it's a chant from the 17th Karmapa, who you know I love so much. Oh, yeah. And uh, it is... Uh, it's a prayer that he chanted uh, for Guru Rinpoche. Uh, so, uh, do you want to just? Uh, we won't. We'll just do a, a minute of it or something. But I, it just as an offering for yes for His Holiness. So, hang in there for a minute, Dave, and here it is. <laughs> Yanzenjogimudroinye Yanzen 
Some of this w- part, there's lines, you, you, they actually translate it into English as you uh, see this. And uh, it's basically uh, laudatory about the incredible accomplishments of Guru Rinpoche and how uh, the prayer is to be able to follow those accomplishments uh, oneself. So just a little something for just remembering um, His Holiness's birthday um, with seventeenth uh, Karmapa, who, by the way, many say, although you know, His Holiness has said, "I am not going to reincarnate again." He's saying there will not be another Dalai Lama, which is astounding to even think of something like that. But many people say, if that is the case, that this Karmapa, uh, as a public figure re- representing Tibetan Buddhism seems most likely to take on that mantle uh, in the future. I mean, this is just conjecture, but you can kind of tell. And he's so, as we've said before, he is so in tune with new generation. He's in tune with what's going on in the environment. He's in tune with LGBT rights. He's in in tune with uh, women's rights uh, in the monastic tradition, um, with conflict resolution. I mean, he is so absolutely uh, right for uh, this generation that's going to be uh, tackling some really uh, difficult uh, problems in the future. So there we go uh, with that. Uh, and um, before, we have a couple of things that, uh, as, as is our usual want that we have found to, uh, to highlight and uh, talk about, um, I have to do news from the end of the world, Dave. <laughs> okay. I mean, I hate to bring it up at this point after his holiness and the 17th Karmapa. And, but I just, I've been so, um, well, I have this thing. Okay. I be, you, watch, I watch the news, my wife and I. Saraswati and I watched the news last night. We were just cooking something, and we just had... uh, I was watching tennis and somehow switched over. And Donald Trump came on. And, you know, at at the beginning, I, I found myself, like, entirely amused. I mean, he is vastly amusing. Like, you know, he's so out there and the things he said you know what he said about mexican people what he he just goes on and what he he even said something about hillary clinton i mean that was just so off the wall especially since he used to praise the clintons i mean he's completely uh reversed face on on just about everything he's he's like you know it's like uh, people watching a fire you know, how people are drawn to, you know, they see a fire and they'll stand in front of a building and watch it burn down. So there's that kind of amusement, which led me then to uh, just feel this awful uh, horror when the truth is you see also where he can actually carry some of these states. 
he and they said he is absolutely representing a view from a uh, a fairly large section of our society so you can't laugh anymore and and that's why it's it's, it's in my little well, news you know, from the end of the world category you know Roger, i want to go back to the uh, the great duncan trussell um <laughs> in in our last or the podcast that we did with him at your house when I was staying with you, um, he did an amazing rap about what he called cadences. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, which were the cadences of newscasters and politicians, which, which uh, sort of imply that what they say is, is actually nothing to do with their heart, um, but is, is practiced and based on feedback from all kinds of um, research and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, and they say what they think they should say in order to get the most votes they can. The thing about Trump, which is amazing, is that he doesn't talk in those cadences. He talks in an entirely different cadence. And he, he completely derogates and, 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 and slanders those that speak with that cadence. In other words, Marco Rubio, uh, Jeb Bush, Hillary Clinton, all of them. Now, the commentator, George Will, who's a, a conservative commentator, but a, a very smart man, even though I disagree with everything he ever says, can't deny his intellectual prowess, he says that the emergence of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders is actually a balance, that both of them, although representing vastly different constituencies, do not speak in that cadence. That's what Duncan would say, that um, they just don't. Bernie, uh, who a lot of us have liked for many years, uh, speaks truth to power. And Trump also speaks truth to power. Now, what he said about Mexicans was, was obviously execrable, to generalize like that is extremely is extremely hurtful and and wrong, but what he says about the fact that nobody's doing anything is probably correct. That the kinds of of actions that we see when we see something really amazing, it is amazing because it's rare, like the Supreme Court's decision on gay marriage and on the the continuation of the Affordable Care Act were shocking to most of us. We thought that they wouldn't do this, and yet they did. They did what we have to consider to be a good, positive thing for, for the nation, and for the people. Uh, but that's unusual. The most politicians, particularly people like Rubio and Clinton, seem to speak what they've researched what they, in order to win. Now, that is part of democracy, but it just seems very empty and hollow. Uh, when you hear Rick Perry uh, saying that he was appalled by what Trump said and everything, I guarantee you that Mr. Perry, Governor Perry, has said worse things to his wife and to his kids and to his friends on the golf course and in the bar. And so Trump is just bringing it out. I've met Trump. And, um, well, you're kidding. You didn't know that. Yeah. He, uh, he came to one of Sandra's um, fundraising events at the Humane Society. I think it was um, Animal Mukti, which um, uh, um, Ms. Cannon and Ms. DeFeo put together to raise money for animals, uh, rescue animals. And Trump came and gave money. It, was, it would be impossible to, to um, describe a more gracious meeting, which is very interesting. In yeah. other words, he was extremely soft-spoken, extremely generous. And we did it at Jiva Mukti in New York City, the great yoga center. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and he came in with his shoes on. No one else did. And uh, it was my job basically to say to him, uh, Mr. Trump, you can't wear shoes in here. 
And I well, I didn't know what to expect. And he just said, oh, 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 no problem, no problem, and took them off immediately. So it's very interesting, really, these questions of divided personality, you know. And one of the things I want to talk about with you, Raga, is a, an article from Chambala Sun, which is exactly about that, about the, uh, the business of having many personae, many role-playing going on in your, in your consciousness, and uh, how that impacts our life, and what are some of the um, antidotes to that. But we'll get to that. Anyway, that's enough about Donald Trump. But I, I agree with you. It's not funny, really, because he's, he's got a, a very dangerous potential, which is to um, cause violence and bombing and heaven knows what. And we can't just be lightheaded about that. But my one meeting with him, he was very nice. What can I <laughs> No, but I, you know, what can I say? Well, that just goes back to the, the idea that, well, it's and His Holiness the Dalai Lama said, everybody wants this. There's one common thread we all want to be happy and and it's true we are not complete i mean you know hitler was one dimensional i guess he was completely uh, a demon uh, just taken over by demons but in this case uh, with all of these politicians and you know they're just uh, barking the party line or barking at uh, their constituents in a way that'll get them to vote for them whatever it may be, but they're all multifaceted individuals, and you just prove this out here. Although, as you said, what he is espousing uh, regarding uh, many different subject matters, including, you know, let's just bomb the shit out of everybody uh, because we got to show ev- the world how powerful America is. You know, that, that kind of stuff. That's end-of-the-world stuff for me. Yeah, just uh, the end of it. It's Why don't you go right into uh, this... this uh, yeah. I just wanted to mention Jeb Bush for a moment. You know that uh, Trump's main one of main criticisms of Bush is that uh, Bush made what he would consider a horrible mistake by saying that the immigrants who come to America, come to the United States, come out of love. That it's the love impulse. Jeb made this statement a couple of years ago and was criticized heavily for it, actually. But what he was saying was, you have to understand that people want to come here. People want to come here to be happy, to make their lives better. And uh, I think he's shown a fairly enlightened attitude towards immigrants. He's married to a a lovely Mexican woman. And, um, you know, I'm not a Bush fan or anything, but he does seem to be a relatively decent guy. Um, But it's interesting that Trump has taken him on, first of all. Anyway, um, you want me to go into this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Raghu hasn't seen this because for some reason Shambhala son is not sending the magazine to him at this point. (laughs) I don't know why, but I, anybody I get, from Shambhala Sun listening to this, help me out. Yeah, we love Jesus you. So you know, Christ. this is an article called Southside Buddhist, and uh, it's in the latest edition of of um, Shambhala Sun. And the theme of this magazine this time is called "Wake Up in Every Moment." We like I like this article because it sort of relates to what we we're just talking about. Everybody wanting to be happy, but having personas and roles in their life from conditioning and which they have to fight with or even accept. And this is by a man called Ira Sukran Gruang, who's Thai, but he grew up on the south side of Chicago. He starts off the article by saying, the south side, the south side me isn't a pleasant dude. <laughs> Meaning that the character that he assumed as a, 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 an Asian human with an Asian family growing up in Chicago, um, you had to be tough in the south side of Chicago. And he assumed that persona forever. Uh, And so his anger, 
he was angry, uh, you know, but he, as he says, I buried all that hurt, that rage inside, and there it sat building and building. He liked the, he liked the idea of hitting people. He punched someone at one point, and he said, my, that punch, it felt good, you know. And, you know, the South Side me was getting, getting himself well-versed in the fine arts of terminating, even though he was Buddhist. And as a Buddhist, he shouldn't hurt an ant. But he became this tough guy in order to survive in that environment. And he also became a guy who was interested in the externals. You know, he had 30 pairs of shoes. He said he was obsessed with shoes. And he was obsessed with the style of being a Southside thug. But the interesting thing is, when he saw someone kicking a dog while he was driving on the side of the road, he stopped and threatened the guy with his violence, that if you continue to do that, I'm going to kick you. In other words, the compassion was in there, but he didn't know, what it, he didn't know where it was coming from. And then, you know, he realized that everything out of his mouth was sarcastic and insincere, you know. Uh, he just wasn't a nice person. His wife, however, is. And then he has arguments with her, but he knows he can't look at her. He knows this woman can take him down with kindness. Mm. To look at her is to look at defeat. Okay, so he has to go to Buddhist Sunday school. And um, <laughs> at Sunday school, during the class, our Ajahn, monk teacher, told the story of Angulimala. I'm not sure that that's the right pronunciation, but Angulimala, a serial killer turned monk. Okay? As a young man, Angulimala's teacher, jealous of his student's virtuous nature, gave a false prophecy that if Angulimala didn't kill 1,000 people, he would risk an early death. Out of his mind, Angulimala began slaying anyone across his path. He cut off his victim's thumbs as memorabilia and hung them round his neck. Years and years went by, and finally, Angulimala needed one more victim to reach 1,000. He saw two people on the road. One was his mother, oh dear, the south side Chicago's weakness, and the other, Buddha. He decided to kill Buddha. So he chased after him, his legs working hard on the dirt road, but he never gained ground. The harder Angulimala ran, the further he was from Buddha. It seemed improbable that a man who dashed at full speed could not catch a monk who walked. Yo, monk, Angulimala said, panting. What's up with you? Buddha turned to Angulimala, head glowing with wisdom, and said, What do you mean? Why don't you stop so I can kill you? Angulimala said, still winded. I have stopped, ma'am, Buddha said. You haven't. These words saved Angulimala, of course, and he became a disciple of Buddha for the remainder of his life. Afterwards, my monk Arjun said that most of us possessed a good and a bad, two identities intertwined in one body. Enlightenment is the merging of the two. Now, there's more in this article, but I just wanted to start with you there, Raghu, about this rather lucid explanation of why one has to look at all of one's motivations and inner urges and, and the persona that come out because of conditioning and because of uh, Ramdas being the most articulate on this subject I've ever come across, the fact that we feel we are someone who we eventually find we are not. He was not necessarily a clinical professor of psychology 
uh, he was not. But it took him meeting uh, a siddha of the highest order to learn that. Not LSD. It was finally the meeting with Maharaji Ninkarili Baba that taught him that he was not that person. And what this, this guy writing this article is saying the same thing. I, I wanted to be a thug to fit in. But after hearing the story of the Buddha and Angulimila, I realized that I had to embrace this thug as well as reach for and aspire to the gentle altruistic being that is within us. How do we do that, Rog? I mean, how do we actually, you know, not deny who we are and yet transcend it, embrace it, and transcend it? What do you think about that? Well, the, uh, I mean, this is so exemplary about roles and, and how we get stuck in those places very, very easily because of, as you say, conditioning, uh, because of desire systems, because of attachment, we get easily, uh, s- just easily identified. Uh, here we are. We're two podcasters right now. And uh, although both of you and I, uh, I mean, I have done this kind of thing in radio in, in my earlier years, uh, it was never quite an identification for me. Uh, it's become a little bit more of an identification as, you know, the podcasts have become more popular. People know us, they, they write to us, and so on. So y- there's attachment. So you're dealing with attachment in this case. Um, uh, in my earlier years, uh, it, it would have been in high school. I loved football. And so it was being a football player. Because you played? I played football, Dave. Yep. What position? What were you? I was the quarterback and uh, wide receiver. Uh, now I didn't play. I'm impressed. I am so deeply impressed. Wait by a this. minute. When we were with, come on, you know this. When we were with Joya back in the day, right? <laughs> yes. And we we used to we had a league, and it was you know two handed touch. Okay, it wasn't tackle football, full pads, but we played people like the Long Island Police in Central Park. We would play in Central Park. Don't you remember coming to the game? No, you did. I was looking for velvet suits. Oh, no. well, you foppy British. British. Right. British. Um, so uh, all of these identifications. So this. So we go full circle as to uh, why do we practice is to unearth all of the... Uh, subtle ways in which we have these attachments to different roles in our lives. And there's no other way to unearth this uh, except for that self-inquiry, the Ramana Maharshi thing of self-inquiry. But just the plain old, like we have a, by the way, everybody, we have a meditation course, on a, it may be closed at this point on ramdas.org, and and it's a basic course and it's and it starts with why do we practice and we've talked about this on on podcasts about how with regular they are proving with regular meditation practice you actually change your brain and um uh it's that repetition that constant repetition so that's one result and the other result is insight into understanding the true nature and understanding where you're stuck 
and understanding um, where, uh, as you as you said, you know, we certainly have habitual patterns, and unless we can get to uh, putting them in some shining some light on them, we usually are going to continue those habitual patterns. Of course, uh, understanding them and seeing them in the light is one thing. Actually transforming them is another, which is why Buddhism has so many great aspects to it about, uh, I mean, they have antidotes for every disturbing emotion and thought, you know, from anger to to, um, sexual stuff and, and all of it. That's the beauty of the science of Buddhism. Um, so, uh, getting at, so this whole thing, this article, which I haven't read and which I'm just hearing for the first time uh, through through David here, um, is that's the first step that anybody has to take if they want to try, if we want to try and get our lives more clear, if we want to uh, not be at the whim of, of these attachments, uh, we need to do self, we need to self-inquire to find out what it is, where we are stuck, and and realize what these attachments uh, can do and further the the habitual patterns that we create in our lives, which make us just plain unhappy. So uh, I I think it's the preliminary uh, step here, Dave. Yeah, you know, I used to think breakthroughs came from revelation. Um, And in the Christian... uh, Tradition, the word article of faith is used all the time. You know, a revelation happens and you keep remembering it and it, it, you use it for betterment. Uh, but I'm, I, I now know much differently in the sense that uh, Krishnadas is one of the least pretentious teachers imaginable and will not say things that he doesn't do. Even he will say that the only way to defeat these demons is through practice. And practice is really rehearsal, isn't it? I mean, you know, a great violinist or a great saxophone player or a great tennis player never gets anywhere if they don't practice all the time. And it's amazing to me that someone like Roger Federer will practice on the day of a game with the guy he practices with. And that, you know, that people practice, 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 practice to become masters of what they do. They don't have to be Roger Federer. But if you're a, a, a good accountant, you have to simply know how to do it and you practice. It's rehearsal for the real event. And I believe the practice and... Um, Dilgo Rinpoche talks about this in his book, that, you know, you don't want to be two minutes from death and have never practiced how to transcend life mm, or yeah, this incarnation. You scary. just don't want to be in that position because it's then you got two minutes to work it out. It's not going to happen. And he says, Dilgo says, well, if you practice every day, um, by the time you get to that point, you will have achieved some progress. I mean, it's just inevitable. And so, you know, I always think about chanting and kirtan and doing mantra that I sometimes do mantra just in case I'm going to get run over at that minute. (laughs) So that at the moment of death, I am doing the gyatri rather than thinking about whether I DVR'd um, the latest house of cards or some nonsense. And, And that's practice. So that when you come to points in your life, not just death, but confrontation with all kinds of problems, uh, you deal with them with something which you've rehearsed over years and years and years and years and years. You've rehearsed this moment, and um, 
You know, a guy in my building was saying to me yesterday that he had a fight with someone else in the building a couple of years ago over something that was fairly insignificant. This guy's a tough dude, too. And he said at the moment when he wanted to hit him, something just came into his into his consciousness. Do not respond to this. Do not react with anger. React with kindness. And he did it. This is not a Buddhist guy. And, and he did it because he'd been, you know, he'd been in the business of trying to minimize his own rage over the years. So when push came to shove, the rubber hits the road, etc., his rage faded. So I think what you were saying before um, is totally apt, that these great teachers, uh, insight meditation teachers, mindfulness teachers, and the Rinpoches, and the great Bhaktas, um, they teach us to learn to grow by practice. Rehearse that violin, boy. Rehearse that violin, Mr. Yehudi Menuhin, at the age of 70, when he was the greatest violinist in the history of the form, said, yes, but I still, I still practice five to six hours a day. <laughs> and His Holiness says he meditates six hours a day. How does he do that, traveling around the world and meeting people and doing stuff? He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. And, you know, we're talking here about the nth degree, people who... Um... There's also a certain karmic uh, potential and predilection that we have. So mm. we can't be, okay, I'm going to force myself. I'm going to get there every day in the morning. I'm going to get up at 6 and I'm going to, you know, and you get your fists tight and you're going to, you know, none of that can happen. We are, we are who we are. We have, uh, um, We've come to this point in this incarnation, not just through the conditions of this incarnation, but the conditions of past incarnations. And so um, there has to be a certain amount of letting go and surrender. And it's just, I mean, how do most people change, Dave? They change because they get really unhappy, mm. right? I mean, we get so unhappy that we just got to do something about it. Or, you know, you're just in, in life, you're, uh, you just got out of college and you can't get a job. And uh, why am I doing this? What is this world about? What, what this conflict, the environment, you know, you can get really depressed and so on. And, and part of it is that you, you don't have any, you realize suddenly that you don't have any relationship with your own self right? You, everything is going external. So suddenly you understand and you bump into something. That's the karma. You bump into something. You go past a yoga studio. You see a picture. Um, I mean, I just heard this incredible thing, actually. Uh, a, an email came to us, uh, part of the Love Serve Remember Foundation, Ramdas. Um, somebody went to uh, this retreat uh, in the spring, I guess, or last December. You know, we have these retreats in Maui with Ramdas and part of and others and part of it is he he gives a mala which right a um, a wrist mala you know people keep it on their wrists it allows them to uh, quickly be able to if they're just sitting waiting in line you can do ram 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 or whatever mantra so it's just a, a centering device basically and Ramdas puts this little thread tiny little thread that he had Maharaji gave him Nimkaroli Baba his blanket when he was alive back then. And Ramdas has been unraveling this for decades and giving them out, right? Putting them on, and it's a blessing. 
And uh, this person went back to Australia. They're from Australia. And went to visit some friends. And they said, what is that? And can I see that? And these people knew who... You know, they were into spiritual life. They weren't completely cold. They they knew who Neem Karoli Baba was. I think one of them is Indian. Um, and they And the guy who was... You know, not as into it as his wife was, that kind of a thing, as uh, as happens. And and the guy, oh, what is this? And he, the beautiful, uh, you know, it was almost like a piece of jewelry to him. And he took it, and they said, what is this uh, little thread? Uh, and, he, and he touched it, just to, touched it, just to see what it felt like. And the, and the mm-hmm. person said, well, this is, uh, you know, told the story, this is uh, Neem Karoli Bhagavad Guy fell on the floor crying. Touched the thread. No idea about anything. So this is this is karma. I mean, we have karma. He at this point in his life that needed to happen to open him up and his heart opened up. And that happens to us in so many different ways as we go through life. That once uh, and I've said this before, it's that ineffable experience. We all get it, and if we recognize it, once we recognize it, then we can follow that path. And then you want to sit down in the morning, and 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 do self inquiry, do uh, get one pointed, be able to not be at the mercy of your thoughts, understand your attachments and desire systems, by virtue of letting this these thoughts go. So practice and then you just do it because uh there's nothing else to do but uh we can't sit around also we you know and kill ourselves because we're not doing six hours like his holiness right right absolutely well put i mean raga's wife is a brilliant yoga teacher and saraswati and i was doing yoga yesterday i'm not the best at it but i i do it try and do it and i've noticed over the years that when I do yoga, that's the time when mindfulness comes into me most because I realize suddenly instead of concentrating on this difficult posture, I'm thinking about this bill I got for, you know, th- that I thought that the insurance covered and didn't <laughs> for some weird reason. And instead of costing $22, it's, it's 600 Ouch. And I can go through, you know, I, I do a yoga where you have to do fast, repeated actions of postures. And you do 21 of each posture. Mm. And I can go from 1 to 17 and not be conscious of that I'm even doing yoga, that I'm in the middle of that envelope with that bill in it. But the reason they ask, the reason in the Tibetan tradition of yoga, they reason they ask you to do those 21 is that they hope that by number 15, 18, 19, <laughs> at least you'll remember you're doing yeah. yoga. <laughs> and th- it helps me a lot because I understand when I'm doing yoga and also when I'm running. I'm a sort of a slow jogger, but I do it. Uh, you know, that some of the time, instead of being conscious of where my feet are hitting the ground and all of that, that I'm back there thinking about whether, you know, whether some horror show is going to befall me or whatever. And so that's why we practice, is to get that witness to speak to us and say, hey, man, you're forgetting that you're doing yoga to improve your body and your mind and your spirit, and you're not even here. And that leads me to something that Raghu... Um, yes, I'm glad he, I was going there too. Wandering really, mind is not a happy mind, yeah. Yeah, Raghu got it from, uh, I guess, Harvard Science. And um, uh, you should talk... It's, it's called the Wandering... I, I don't know the title, but it's about the Wandering Mind. Wandering Mind is not a happy mind. 
Right. And and it's about people who created a, a, an app to see what people were doing day to day. And if this is if this is all about be here now, eh? I mean, ultimately, you know, people yeah. spend uh, almost half the time of their waking hours thinking about something other than what they're doing. And this makes them unhappy. Boy, do we know that. And in this age, uh, electronic age that we're in, instant communication age that we're in, distraction age that we're in with our iPhone, uh, smartphones, um, this is a huge issue and a huge problem. And we're all in it. I mean, you know, I think we did a podcast uh, quite some time ago. Uh, uh, and it was, uh, one of the, um, it was a crazy thing. I can't remember quite, what was it about? Uh, one of, it, one of the, um, phobias, phobias. And one of them was if you uh. didn't have your phone, smartphone right by you, people actually would start shaking and get un- <laughs> go con- uncontrollably <laughs> mad. Right? Yeah. And yeah. do we all experience that? I mean, oh shit, yeah. where's my f- I where's my phone? You know, and, and go crazy. Uh and so we are all at the uh, I have been with great teachers at his holiness uh, being with teachers at a his his holiness teaching and they're thumbing through their um their texts in the middle of the talk. I mean, great teachers. Okay. We are all at the mercy of this insanity. So they, so they did a study, uh, and they used an iPhone web app to gather uh, a quarter of a million data points on subjects, thoughts, feelings, and actions. And they went about their lives. A human mind is a wandering mind and a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. The ability to think about what is not happening is a cognitive achievement that comes at an emotional cost. And that's, let's talk about multitasking too. I'm famous. I'm a famous multitasker. Okay. And I'm proud of it. That's how crazy it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm nuts. I, I am proud of the <laughs> fact that I can keep a whole bunch of different shit in my head and, and go from one thing to the next, like, you know, like it's nothing. This, you know, um, and, and so, uh, unlike other animals, I mean, like my dogs who are sitting here right now, uh, they are happier as, than a clam just being what they are, which is sitting here waiting for me to finish the damn podcast so we can go out. Um, <laughs> but humans spend a lot of time thinking about what isn't going on around them, contemplating events that happened in the past might happen in the future or may never happen at all. Mm. Indeed, mind wandering appears to be the human brain's default mode of operation. That's sick. It, we are sick. Uh, mon, mind wandering appears ubiquitous across all activities. This study shows that our mental lives are pervaded to a remarkable degree by the non present. Okay? So you go back to what we were just talking about practice. That is is absolutely necessary to bring us in the present moment and it informs the rest of your day, we should hope. Um, so and this professor of psychology at Harvard found that people were happiest when making love, exercising, or engaging in conversation because at that point, you are not so much uh, going into the default mode of thinking about other shit, right? Because it's such Unless a power. Unless, of course, you're making love and thinking about someone else. 
All right, Dave. I'm sorry. Don't, don't bring <laughs> that up. I mean, this is not something to share with with our people. I didn't say you did that this or I did that, but I've heard of it. Innocent people out here, okay? Um, <laughs> sorry about that. They were least happy when resting, working, or using a home computer. Uh, and so mind-wandering is an excellent predictor of people's happiness. Yeah. I have um, to challenge that a little bit, though. He says home computer. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it depends what you're doing with the computer. But but at some point, you know, focus is... I know that when I'm editing video, I'm very happy because I'm so focused. I cannot think of anything else or I can't do it. And I do that on the computer. Uh, you know, the other thing that's interesting about what he says, Rago, is that you're unhappy because your mind is wandering. Where you tend, you would tend to think on a simplistic level that you're fantasizing and therefore you're happy about something that isn't actually in the present. Like something, oh, I'm relishing this this great Indian meal I'm going to have tonight with my friends. Oh, God, I'm going to have biryani and it'll be fantastic. <laughs> and some, You know, you'd think that that would actually make you temporarily happy. But I, I guess the study is saying, no, the, the fact that you're not in the present uh, means that you're basically anxious. Uh, you're not accepting what's in front of you like yeah. my, yeah. my cat or your dogs do. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And and he says many uh, philosophical and spiritual traditions teach that happiness to found, is to be found living in the moment, and practitioners are trained to resist mind wandering and to here it is, be here now. This is it. This yep. is all. This is what Ramdas brought back in the late sixties, uh, and, and here we are. These uh, traditions suggest that a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. And so this really uh, is a great referral to our uh, previous conversation and uh, from that article David picked up in Shambhala Sun about uh, really uh, understanding our attachments, roles, and desire systems, and uh, so on, uh, and practice. Um, that There's no other way to uncover this, uh, and there's no other way to get more presence and be in the present moment then um, it's starting with the most basic, simple, uh, one-pointed uh, practices. So we are big advocates of that. And in, and it, by the way, it, as David says, it can be chanting here. It can be yoga. Uh, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is that can help you bring your mind to one point so that you are not chasing thoughts and emotions and you are not... Um, uh, just reacting and following them. I mean, that's what we do. That's the really tough thing. Just think about all the times you have a thought and then it's the reaction to that thought that gets us in trouble and that leads to this barrage of, of, of mind wandering in, in all directions. Uh, Dave, uh, can I, I, I just, uh, I want to address something. This is moving to another kind of heavy subject, but, uh, it fits, uh, with this other thing that I found. So I kind of, you mind if I switch gears? No, of course. Okay. Somebody uh, wrote to us and said uh, that they want us to uh, talk about a certain subject, which is uh, probably one of the heavier -est of subjects we could talk about. Suicide is what it is. And they wanted to us to talk about the issue of suicide as it pertains to Hinduism and Buddhism. And, and that's one thing. Um, 
and it also refers to the right to, to die movement as it uh, refers to, obviously, physical ailments when someone is suffering so much, shouldn't they be allowed uh, and, and to uh, end their life? And most people would compassionately say, yes, I, what are the karmic implications of that? I, I mean, I just don't know. Um, uh, it, it extends here where this person talked about the implications of, well, why is it seemingly, we can all sort of agree or at least go into a, a compassionate moment of saying, okay, if you're, the physical ailment is so horrible, then it's okay. But not if there's mental suffering and thoughts of suicide, struggle with suicidal thoughts, and so on and so forth. Um, and I, I guess, uh, as I said, I don't know the karmic implications of, of somebody who takes their life when they are in just vast... I mean, people, you know, the plug gets pulled. I mean, that's the most extreme, right? When there's obviously no way, or people just say at one point, I don't want any food and water. Okay, that's, I'm going to let go. It's a little bit more of a different picture when they actually say, give me X amount of pills or whatever, however that's done, so that uh, I can leave because I can't take this this suffering and there's no chance that anything's going to recover. But with mental issues, now, of course, this is a complex, complex subject. And I think with... uh, uh, people who uh, have uh, a disease, deep depression, bipolar, any of these things, the, of course treatment is available, whether that treatment can work in, in extreme cases, and maybe it can't. But let's take it down a notch to somebody who is just has depression and, and feels like uh, suicidal thoughts, then I think we get into, and both, by the way, Hinduism, Buddhism, taking your life uh, is no different than taking another life. Uh, and that creates a horrific karmic um, uh, eventuality. And, uh, and I, I think that's as direct as, as we can get without getting into complex details of, of, about the, the karma that is created from taking your life. Um, but I think once you get into, and, and this person who wrote to us is saying, you know, they've kept themselves uh, together by uh, listening to what Neem Karoli Baba has to say about love and perfecting love and, and so on and, and listening to teachers. So they're connected in enough of a way. I would say to this person, and Dave, you can, you know, give your take on this, that it it goes back to what you just brought up in that Shambhala Sun article about roles and attachment to roles. And in this case, we all get attached to thinking that these thoughts that we're having, a depression of being a shithead, I'm not good at anything, I can't get a job, I can't get a, a, a relationship. I can't stop fighting with my children. I can't stop fighting. I'm angry. I'm, all of these things are just identifying with role, thoughts, emotions. And there is a way to 
reorient yourself so that you are not identifying with that part of you which is not who your true self is. And Ramdas, uh, you know, has been in the last number of years really, really uh, working with people on moving your identif- their identifications from the ego mind to the spiritual heart, soul, whatever you want to call that thing, which is uh, not subject to a deep uh, attachment of role, thoughts, emotions, which is absolutely connected to the, um, the witness, the guru, where we are seeing through that mind's eye, uh, which includes love, peace, wisdom, compassion, and joy. And so, full circle again, how do we get there? Practice. So rather than sitting around and, and, and going, I'm having suicidal thoughts, I, I'm depressed, I'm, I mean, if it gets to the point, and that's why I say this, and we talked about this earlier, you absolutely, it's got to get shitty before you're going to want to do something about it. And, and, uh, and just realize that you are just projecting, you know, it's the, it's the wake up in the morning to the, uh, movie of me, 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 me. You got to get out of that me. And, um, and just, I'm going to take this Dave, uh, and move it into this very, very interesting article, uh, because we're talking about suicide. So we're talking about death and we're talking about, um, uh, what, uh, this particular, uh, article, and it's from a book called biocentrism, how life and consciousness are the keys to understanding the nature of the universe, which I know David has actually read or parts of and was tried to, he tried to. Yeah. And it's a very difficult thing. And I said, well, there's some things in this that really make sense. It's a notion that life does not end when the body dies. Okay, the author is a scientist, Dr. Robert Lanza, who is voted third most important scientist alive by the New York Times. So this is not a schmageggy, right? <laughs> this is Rob, a real guy. Catalyst, yes. <laughs> and he's, he, he's an expert in regenerative uh, me- medicine and scientific director of Advanced Cell Technology Company. And he's famous for several successful experiments on cloning endangered animal species okay so this is not a nothing and so biocentrism teaches that life and consciousness are fundamental to the universe and it's consciousness that creates the material universe not the other way around and uh that the laws forces and constants of the universe appear to be fine-tuned for life implying intelligence existed prior to matter Okay, that's a key thing. He claims that time and space are not objects or things, but tools of our animal understanding. He says we carry time and space around with us like turtles with shells, meaning that when the shell comes off, time and space, we still exist. So this gets Mm. into thoughts about reincarnation. Uh, the theory implies that death of com- consciousness simply does not exist. I mean, this uh, for people who are, this is good for, uh, for us all uh, because it's science confirming 
uh, stuff that uh, the Tibetan tradition and other traditions have insisted on for thousands of years. Um, and it only exists because people identify themselves with their body. They believe that their body is going to perish sooner or later, thinking that consciousness will disappear too. Okay, so identification with body, identification with role with body. I mean, that's the biggest role, is your identification with your body. If the body generates consciousness, then consciousness dies when the body dies. That's what we all are trained to think. But if the body receives consciousness in the same way that a cable box receives satellite signals, then, Mm. of course, consciousness does not end at the death of the physical vehicle. It exists outside of constraints of time and space. It is able to be anywhere in the human body and outside of it. In other words, it is non-local in the same sense that quantum objects are non-local. Now, I met somebody many decades ago who embodied this, okay? Neem Karoli Baba. And, we've, of course, I've mentioned this a gazillion times in all of these podcasts that we've been doing. And uh, not only there were uh, incidents and of, of personal incidents that people had with Maharaji being in more than one place at a time and completely deconstructing our idea of time and space, you absolutely went into that state with him, just being with him, where suddenly you were talk about being in the moment there was no time and space you were you had no idea of of where your body began and where it ended just like what they're talking about here i actually experienced that and not intellectually at that time but when i read something like this and i go back into that moment which i easily can do or in that moment when uh, the fortunate moments when my mind does stop uh, the discurs- discursive uh, bullshit and gets into one point and that moment is there as well I, I, I have a, um, a, a gut instinct uh, understanding not a mental thing of this is absolute truth and uh, do I know it so well that I don't have fear of death, a- death? absolutely not but I am practicing that on a day to day basis and and this consciousness exists outside of the constraints of time and space. Everybody, listen to that. It is, it is truth, and science is proving this out. And then he gets also into that multiple universes can exist simultaneously. That means that a dead person, while traveling through the same tunnel, ends up not in heaven or hell, but in a similar world he or she once inhabited, but this time alive. And so on infinitely, almost like a cosmic Russian doll afterlife effect. I mean, wow. So uh, what else is in here? I mean, um, it says in some of these worlds you may be present reading this article in one universe or watching TV in another. <laughs> Reminds me of Larry David when they, uh, they, they did an interview. Uh, how about this for a diversion? Uh, Larry David of... Uh, um, What's his show? Uh, Curb Curb Your Enthusiasm, right. So he was on 60 Minutes. Did you see this? He was interviewed on 60 Minutes, right? I love this thing at the end. Larry, what would you want your tombstone to say? And, And the interviewer said, I can think that 
here lies somebody who really enjoyed making people laugh. And Larry says, you know, are you gonna, this, I should be remembered for what my career is? I, I don't think so. And so the guy said, well, what would you want to be remembered for? Something that you loved. And Larry said, I don't know. I love watching TV. <laughs> he said, are you going to put I love TV on your tombstone? And he said, yeah. So I love that thing. You can be in one universe reading this article and another watching TV. Um, so the triggering factor, last but not least of this little article, the triggering factor for these multiplying world is our actions. If we make some choices, instantly one universe splits into two with different versions of outcomes. But mm. uh, karma, I, and, and this is an important point, our actions do really mean something. And I think we all need to recognize that. And, and even just thinking shit, you know, it, it's, it's important to understand how much reaction, action, reaction happens with every infinitely tiny movement uh, that we make. Um, oh, I mean, seeing it is so important. My, my great idols, and if people don't like this, they can lump it, is uh, who? President Jimmy Carter. And oh. you know, he's been here <laughs> a lot in the last couple of weeks. He's 90 now. Oh, right. And he's as bright as a, uh, as a pen. I mean, he's just fantastic. And he was famous for many things, but when he was president, you know, there he was, a, a Southern Baptist from Georgia, from Plains, Georgia, peanut farming people. And he said, well, you know, you can't be a hypocrite. I have lust in my heart. And here's the president of the United States who was a preacher and a, a commander of a, a nuclear submarine and a, a most uh, admirable human being and his wonderful wife, Rosalind. And yet he said this and said it because he wanted people to know that he was no different from them and that he had these feelings inside of himself that he was no perfection, he was no Bible puncher who was saying, I have found the light, and you sinners out there, you better do what I do. He never did that. He just simply said, I'm just like you guys. Mm. I have this going on, and I know that if I don't at least admit it, I can't deal with it. And just like this guy from the south side of Chicago I quoted before, he knew he had tendencies that were not nice. And one of the first things was to recognize that. I actually want to go back to what you were talking before, biocentrics, which was just suicide. And, you know, it, it's very compelling for people who are incredibly depressed who just don't want to go on this anymore. But I go back to the old Buddhist cliche, which is the, the precious gift of life, that, you, you know, millions, billions of evolutionary incarnations it takes to become a human being. And the preciousness of this cannot be overestimated or overdescribed. And that that old Buddhist um, uh, image of the bird flying over the mountain with a scarf, right. a silk scarf, and the number of times it takes that bird with that scarf to, to, to erode the mountain completely so it's just a flat plane is the number of times we have incarnations to get to be a human being. And when I first heard that, I must say that it, beyond all teachings and esoteric stuff, that just shook me to my roots. I thought, oh my God, I'm such a depressed crap. I mean, I complain about this, I complain about that. I've had divorces, this and that. You know, what is the matter with me? If I complain enough, I'm, I'm actually violating the gift of this life. And that's kind of a, 
a rather um, simplistic sort of way of looking at it, but it's the way I look at it because I know the Buddhists have wisdom that I can only aspire to, these great Rinpoches, and that when they say something, Dilgo and Trug, Trug, you know, Trugam and all Trungpa and everybody, you know, we know of, and the Karmapas and the, the Dalai Lamas and all the other thousands of teachers and meditators, they all say the same thing, which is, and it's not boring, they say because they've known it, They're, they've gone inside enough to have seen, they've meditated enough, practiced enough to have seen that this human life is, is a rare event. We don't think it is because there's billions of us on the planet running around doing stuff, but the fact of the matter is, we start off by being microbes, salamanders, move up to being lemurs and cats and dogs and, and then primates and then humans. But that just doesn't happen overnight. That's billions of years. And even if you don't believe in any of this, you've got to believe that, you know, there are connections between all organically sentient beings from, you know, the, the, the little microbes in our gut and crawling under the mud of the ocean through to, you know, um, what can I say? Roger Federer. I mean, it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a yeah, long... Yeah, Roger, yeah. Um, Roger. But, so, you know, um, I, it, that's one of the things. I mean, it's hard to tell someone who's really, really depressed and down about, you know, I don't have a girlfriend, I don't have a job, I don't have a house, I don't have anything. I'm, I, I'm, it's hard to tell them the gift of life. Um, but somehow yeah, you have to get that through if you want to be an altruist and help them get over this suffering yeah. um, I, I just want to finish this up David because there's yeah, one last don't. thing that I think will give people you know some real uh, substantial uh, courage and it's our souls are in fact constructed from the very fabric of the universe and may have existed since the beginning of time our brains are just receivers and amplifiers for the proto-consciousness that is intrinsic to the fabric of space-time. So is there really a part of your consciousness that is non-material and, and will live on after the death of your physical body? Yes. And that's the way we should uh, end this particular... We're way over our sponsor's time, by the way, Dave. All right. And what I have to do one thing before we. Okay. Yeah, we have to. Okay. So we promised you guys out there and you guys that supported the Indiegogo campaign that you were going to get a mention. And I'm going to start mentioning. And I have not seen this list of names. I don't think David has. Either. We haven't really looked at it. So right. it's going to be interesting. Casey Ogilvie. Thank you. Well, I'm not going to say thank you to everybody, Dave. Okay, I'm going to mention the names: Charla Bemis, Mark O'Don, Mark Donahue, Jane Robertson, David Dial Khalsa, Davy Dial Khalsa. I'm going to get this right, Dave. Mark Carlson, Paul Singer. Oh, Paul is our friend. I love you, Paul. Uh, yes. We love everybody here. Melody Gr uh, Godfrey, Seth. Uh, Beer, Beersner, Sean Stevenson, Sonia Sarao, Thomas Joyce, Catherine Breheny, Daniel West, Danielle West. Okay, it's a girl, I got to believe. Danielle. Laurie Stewart, Nora B. Weaver, Stephen Callahan, Melissa J. White, Cameron McLean, Diana Schilke, Ty Osborne, Karen M. Dake, or it could be Dockey, but we'll go with Dake. Uh, Vani Songsurai. Oh, no, this is a really difficult one, Dave. Songsuraidej. Mm. Suraidej. 
I want you, uh, Vani, to get back to us and tell us how to pronounce your name. Elise Bergston, Patricia Bonner Foote, Cindy Stewart, Zuvuya, Diana Christina, Adam Basil, Stephen Brown, Ellen Fitzpatrick, Shruti Asher Colbert, who's a Shruti. friend of ours, we Megan Curran, Joy Paltiel, Matthew Pancone, Robert Harris, Amy Brandon Holmes, Jim Selder, Cider, Jim Cider, Daniel Barlow, Margaret Norman, Sue Ellen Shepard, Kristen Rogers, Craig Whitaker, Jeremy Candelaria, Tonya Godel, Aaron Fox, Chris Gagne, Mary Jo High, Chirinos, Dan Harang, Christine Falwell. Do you remember Christine? And she even put her nickname, Prunes, who, who uh, was uh, Dwight Carson's uh, wife all the way back when. Thank you, Christine. Daniel Martin, Don Avery, Jan Hutton, Yvonne Cooper, Betsy Branch, Shone Caverly, Joseph Carter. Now we're we're going to stop there uh, because uh, we we you know some people probably well, I don't want to hear anybody's name on this thing, and uh, but you know we just really want to point to the fact that this is our community of people who cared enough not to just about us mind rollers and mind pod network, but cared enough so that people could access this around the world this uh you know really great wisdom not that dave and i particularly count do we, do we count there i guess yeah, I this mean, is a matter of self-worth uh we we have to investigate our self-worth david um and uh <laughs> <laughs> that'll take about two minutes yeah okay right. um so uh we're you know each week dave we'll uh we'll make sure because we have so many we can't list them all at once everybody thank you again for this tremendous support Please continue by going to mindpodnetwork.com. We have some new teachers coming up. We told you about Joseph Goldstein. We have a very close friend of ours named Danny Goldberg and Mirabai Bush, both of who are coming on the network with some extraordinarily, extremely extraordinary, interesting guests. Uh, so this thing keeps expanding and moving along and... Uh, Hey, we just hung out together and we weren't thinking about anything else, David. See, so us having this conversation is is sadhana, right? It is, because you really have to focus at least. I mean, my cat has been bothering me for the last half hour, nipping my heels, whining and doing things. And I, I refused to accede oh, to her demands, which yeah, feed. Well, look at my dog there. She's just looking at me going, she's, okay. She's chilled out. She's wonderful. Kenchi from Kenchi. Thank you, everybody. Yes. Here we go. Mind rolling. We'll be back next week. Love you all. Yeah. Ciao.